This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. Now, it might be hard to believe, but we are already at the end of 2023. And as we bid farewell to the year, it is imperative that we look back at a very busy year in which we witnessed some significant developments across the continent of Africa. From political transformations to socio-economic change, the year has been marked by a tapestry of events that have shaped the trajectory of nations and communities. And so, on the final two episodes of Upfront, we want to look back at some of the big stories that we here on the show covered, plus some of the leaders of industry, activists, innovators, and changemakers that we featured on the show. Now, I think that one of the biggest topics of discussions on the continent this year was around climate change. The UN Climate Summit ended earlier this month in Dubai. At the end of the summit, countries agreed to compromise deal that was described as historic. Even as some scientists have said that the agreement contained many loopholes and that it did not match the severity of the climate emergency. We've been asking you to chime in on this climate change debate, especially as it relates to Africa. This is what you said. Africans should be worried about climate change because a lot of things are happening because of the climate change. We can say of floods, the droughts. Africa has got many countries which are not developed. So when those kind of effects come upon the countries, a lot of people suffer. What should be done, we should make sure that we conserve the environment. We should not just cut down trees anyhow. And whenever we want to use those trees, we should have a mindset of maybe replacing them. Oh, I'm Spiwe from Malawi. The way that, the way that has changed, like um, the rainy season, it's not that long as the way it was back then. Yeah, people say this plastic, the plastic and the industry are destroying the climate. Uh, when it comes to climate change, me, I always think about... Uh, Ice melting, uh, getting hot, weather change, the weather uh, pattern changing. We have had sunshine for two consecutive years, and it has been affected our farming and human agriculture and uh, output generally. I think the problem is with us. We should care for our environment. We should uh, be our own, you know, supervisors. The way I understand it is like in a way of maybe finding that there is drought, there are floods, maybe even other stuff like that. That's what I understand. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. We are looking back at some of the stories that we covered in 2023 as we come to the end of this very busy year. And one of the top narratives of the year was the political resilience that was demonstrated by various African nations. Several countries experienced peaceful transitions of power, underscoring a growing commitment to democratic principles. Liberian youth activist Laraman Nyonto spoke to us about the recent election in Liberia, in which the incumbent president, George Weir, lost and conceded to his rival, Joseph Boakai. So people were willing to come together to solve the problem. For most voters, it was about correcting the mistakes of 2017 um, when they voted George Weir over Boakai. So yeah, technically he was able to bring the country back together. So this was actually a rerun? Yes, it was a rematch. Yeah, yeah rematch. <laughs> yes, a rematch, correct. Yeah. <laughs> President George Weir just had his uh, six-year mandate 
Um, what is his legacy going to be, aside from the fact that he's probably one of the few African presidents who considered, graciously considered to his uh, opponent, even before the Electoral Commission had fully really <laughs> announced the results? I think Muya has the chance to ride on the back of that concession as the greatest source of his legacy. Um, when you look back, um, when he came to office, there were a lot of urgency, national urgency, that needed to be resolved. Um, the issue of the economy, he ran on the back of fighting corruption and establishing the war on economic crimes court, which he did not do. He ran on the back of young people who overwhelmingly supported him, which is the 1% of the vote in, 20, in, the, in the runoff of 2017. And he filled the interests, the hopes, and aspirations of those young people. So the only, um, the only success or the only bright spot for Weir um, in his post presidency is his early concession. What are some of the things that he did during his presidency that you would say Liberians are proud of, some things that the incoming president will build upon? Unfortunately, there are many things that we are in proud of. We were in proud of the fight that, um, and you interviewed me on that, the 16 billion that got missing. Um, investigation to that is still inconclusive. We're in proud of the 25 million mop-up exercise. The investigation on that is still inc inconclusive. We're in proud of the extrajudicial killing of auditors all across the country. The president leaving the country for 48 days, going to watch soccer game of his son who played on the, um, the U.S. Male in, National in Qatar. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that we are in proud of, um, unfortunately, as opposed to uh, matching the expectation. But you, 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 you have to say that there, there's got to be some, some good things that he did well, in his with, six years in power. With the exception of building um, soccer uh, sport parks, um, along the fish market and, and West Point, but I don't think that's what the people of West Point was asking for. Okay. Um, so now that Liberians have given the mandate to Joseph Bwakai, what do they want to see from this administration, and what do you think is, uh, is coming in as top on uh, his priority list? Well, it's to end the culture of impunity, and I think personally, as someone who worked on his campaign team um, within the media um, aspect of it, I think that's where we have to focus. Um, the first thing that Borga needs to do is to restore the trust and confidence in the institution, the institutions of government. And one of the ways to do that is to ensure that the right people are appointed to anti-grabs institutions. You have the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission, you have the General Auditing Commission, you have the um, Internal Audit Commission, as well as um, other anti-grabs institutions. Make sure that people who have a strong legacy and a repetition in fighting corruption, ensuring that we have open and transparent audit across the board, right? Mm. Once you can do that, um, begin to look at um, the language of the geopolitics, right? Whoever he chooses as his foreign minister should be someone who is seasoned um, diplomat who is able to knock those and make things open, right? He already running on the back of the IRS agenda, which is the, the pillar of the economic plan that he has. Um, we need to move beyond that a little to incorporate young people into that plan and make them at the front and center of inclusive e economic um, development. That was Liberian youth activist Laraman Nyonto. Let's stay in West Africa in Nigeria, where a report commissioned by Nigeria's Bayelsa state, that is one of the major oil-producing states in the country, says that $12 billion is needed to clean up decades' oil spills and reverse environmental damage in the Niger Delta. 
Dr. Ann Zalek is one of the authors of the report. Uh, let me start off by asking you to, to tell us about the background of the commission and its mandate. Okay, thank you so much, Jackson. So the commission was established in 2019 to look into um, the impact of oil pollution on the state of Bayelsa in Nigeria, which is one of the parts of the country that has been most affected by the impact of the oil and gas industry. Um, it, it's also a region that, as opposed to, say, the Agoni region and River State, has largely fallen out of international attention, despite the fact that it's been devastated by decades of oil pollution. And why Bayelsa? Well, I mean, it's one of the smallest states in Nigeria. Why did the study concentrate on this particular state? And how was the research carried out? So um, although Bielsa is a small state, as you mentioned, Jackson, of 2.3 million people, it has received a much disproportionate amount of pollution. So the estimates are that 1.5 and potentially in some regions up to six, um, six barrels of oil have spilled per individual currently alive in the state today. And it's a region that um, is, is largely... Um, considerably made up of riverine areas of swampland that are not particularly accessible where oil pollution has been largely hidden from public view. So it's an area that's been particularly devastated by pollution um, and has not been compensated in a form sufficient. The research undertaken for the commission involved the review of um, a huge amount of now published material, as well as the commissioning of a number of independent reports, um, hundreds of interviews, and as well as various site visits and discussions with community members um, across Bielsa State. And what is the history of, uh, of oil exploration in, in Nigeria? How, how, how long have these uh, international uh, oil and gas companies, or even individuals, been extracting natural resources, this natural resource in, in this area? So oil was, in fact, first um, discovered in commercial quantities in Bielsa State, in um, Aloibari, in what is today Bielsa State. It was in a historic, um, another part of, it was made up of, a, it was a portion of another state at that time. But in any case, it is Bielsa where oil was discovered in Nigeria um, now six decades ago. And it is a region which has had sustained um, production since that period and remains a significant source. 25% of oil produced in Nigeria comes from Bielsa State. Um, Nigeria has, was at one point um, the most significant supplier of oil and gas to the United States from the African continent. So when I was conducting my doctoral research in this region 20 years ago, at that time, um, Nigeria ranked as the fifth largest supplier of oil to the United States in the world. So for somebody sitting in Washington, D.C., I think that's important because since the, you know, um, the sort of boom, the fracking boom in the U.S., the history of U.S. dependence on some of these regions has been forgotten. Mm. And what, what are some of the key findings of the commission on the impact of oil exploration to the environment and, and to the general health of the local communities? So, you know, what was particularly shocking 
was that as a re the result of the of the um, groundwater and surface water samples that we took demonstrated um, uh, access to World Health Organization standards of between a hundred and in some cases um, up to a million times the target value for the maximum amount of a particular um, PAH, so um, aromatic hydrocarbon or, or total petroleum hydrocarbon in, in this region. So, you know, vastly exceeding what are considered um, healthy, healthy quantities in an environment. Um, one of the things that, you know, I think was particularly stark in the lead up to, um, to the inauguration of the commission was the publication of a report or of, a, of an article in, in a leading science journal um, that was co-authored by one of the members of the expert working group that demonstrated causality between oil spills and miscarriages. Um, in the Niger Delta. And this, this was, you know, while it was something that was sort of assumed to be the case for many who studied the region, um, you know, the, the, that, is a, that is an extremely um, powerful and disturbing finding that demonstrates arguably, I mean, a long history of systemic racism in the way the oil and gas industry has operated internationally. Mm. Let me ask you, before before we get into any positives and maybe some recommendations, I wanted to ask you, how, how do we explain the failure uh, to regulate the impact of these oil companies, whether it comes from the, the gas flaring, the oil spills, the releasing of uh, toxic contaminants uh, into the water and into the environment? What explains that the states fail to play its, you know, regulatory role? So, you know, much is made of um, internal corruption and regulatory problems within the Nigerian state. Um, and, you know, one would not argue that these are not features of the broader context. But I think what is most significant is that that context has become highly profitable um, for the oil and gas industry because it allows it to reduce its costs of production in the region. So, you know, from a perspective of looking at the systemic causes, it's really corporate criminality um, and profiteering over a context where it doesn't have to pay, pay for its pollution that is, you know, at the root of, of the problem. What are the recommendations of the, of the report? How can this damage be redressed? So, you know, um, we have a series of recommendations that call for an overhaul in the regulatory system, so point at, at the concerns that, that you just raised, Jackson, but also call for a, um, a, 12, um, a $12 billion remediation fund, and that figure is calculated based on um, an extrapolation from the number of hectares that the United, United Nations Environment Program um, assumed the amount of funds that would be required to clean up the Agoni region and River State um, in the 2011 report that was produced to Bielsa State, which is a much larger region than the Agoni area. So, um, you know, from the perspective of the requirements of the transnational firms, that is obviously, you know, a significant um, figure. But the the 
The recommendations also call for, you know, independent and consistent monitoring of health impacts for a much improved process of reporting on spills. Um, you know, there's been extreme negligence in reporting on spills um, for decades. And that's one of the reasons why um, the pollution, you know, problem in Bielsa has become so serious. Dr. Ann Zalek is a faculty member of the program in Global Geography, Environmental and Urban Change at York University. She's one of the authors of the report. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. As 2023 comes to an end, we are looking back at some of the stories that we featured on the show. Well, let me say that I believe personally that leadership is something that one is born with. So, yes, I would say that we can learn to be a leader in class. But at the same time, I would say that you don't necessarily need to sit uh, in a classroom and to learn how to become a leader. However, it is uh, somehow important for one to also uh, have an access to uh, lessons on leadership. We are not supposed to be taught on how uh, to be a good leader, but we are supposed to learn. Okay, If someone wants to be a good leader, he or she is supposed to learn maybe from other people, from other leaders, from their role models. Many thanks to all of you for sending in your opinions. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. Studies show that Africa's space sector is steadily expanding, with over 20 countries establishing national space initiatives and plans to launch more than 100 additional satellites in the sky by 2025. Earlier this year, the African Union's Space Agency, that's an agency created to oversee space-related activities on the continent, was formally inaugurated in Egypt's capital, Cairo. The goal is to foster the growth of an African space market and industry, plus the exploitation of space resources. But even with this kind of developments, many believe that Africa is still lagging behind in the space race and should do more to catch up with their developed counterparts. Ethiopian-American space scientist Dr. Brooke Lakew is the Associate Director for Planning and R&D at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. This is considered the largest earth and space science research organization in the world. He tells me that even though space exploration requires a lot of resources, it is necessary if African governments are to become less reliant on foreign technology and to take control of their own environmental and national security. Dr. Brooke Lackew, thank you so much for joining us today. How does one become a space scientist? Where did you start? Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, my, my story is a little different um, because when I talk to my, uh, some of them, my colleagues and their path to, to uh, space science, it's kind of straight line. You know, they went to high school, they knew what they were going to be doing, they, then they went to college and did the PhD in you know, astronomy, astrophysics or astrochemistry and so on and so forth. Yeah. In my case, uh, you know, I was born in Ethiopia. I went to a French school, uh, local. Uh, my tuition was uh, five Ethiopian bur. Can you imagine? It's a few, yeah. few cents per month. You know? <laughs> now, now it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. But, skyrocketed. Uh, yeah, yeah, skyrocketed. Mm. And so uh, when I finished high school there, the French government gave me a scholarship to go and study in France. And so I went there and uh, I did um, phys- physics and chemistry, double major in college. 
And then I did uh, physical chemistry uh, in, PH, uh, in my PhD. For your master's and PhD? Yes, University of Paris. Yeah. And uh, at the time, the Ethiopian government was a military dictatorship. Uh, my parents, everybody said, don't come back. So, like everybody else, I migrated to the United States. Mm. And during my uh, thesis work, my, during my PhD, I studied the surface physics of solids. And in space, the way you create a signal from a spacecraft uh, or, or whatever you're looking at is by getting radiation from it and then having a sensor that converts that radiation power, uh, radiating power into electricity. Mm. And that's a surface property. And that's, and, and that's how I, my, my training converged with what NASA needs. Ah, I needs. see. So it came at the time when, I guess, science had evolved to that level of understanding of this very specific thing. Yes, exactly. Specifically a mission called the Cosmic Background Explorer. And it was uh, launched in 1989 and it was looking for the very early stage of the universe, yeah. the Big Bang. And the lead scientist got a Nobel Prize in 2006 for the work on, of, of that mission. Yes, I, I think I remember and that. So yeah, then was a big, you know, I got uh, involved in that, and because it was looking at the very early universe, the very cold, mm. way, way back, the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory. The Big Bang theory. Yeah. So uh, it, it avoided looking at the sun, because the sun is very hot, and you're looking, f you have extremely sensitive sensors on board. So the, the spacecraft, instead of being an equatorial orbit around the Earth, mm. it was polar and looking away from the sun. And when it does that, at the north and south, the Earth's magnetic field traps a lot of uh, radiation yeah. from the sun, protons, electrons, that bombarded the spacecraft. And my, uh, the request that I had, the assignment that I was given, is study, to study what the, that radiation does to the sensors of the spacecraft. Mm. So Was it disrupting the sensors? Yes, is that absolutely, what? Yes. Okay. So, so you came up with a solution. Yes, exactly. So I... Uh, so I, you joined NASA around what, 1999? No, no, mm. much, much earlier, uh, 1984. 84, oh wow, that's much but, earlier. Uh, at the time, I was not a you know, federal scientist employee. I was employed through a contract. Okay. In, in, in the, but in, still working with NASA? Absolutely, okay. the whole time. Okay, and so you saw the space technology evolving from, you know, 1984 really, is, is quite uh, you know, absolutely, at the early absolutely. stages of it. <laughs> Some of our instruments, uh, like the second mission I was involved in that sent a spacecraft to, to Saturn, the instrument was uh, 42 kilograms. Now nobody would send uh, that heavy an instrument. Yes, it's too heavy. Uh, it's yeah. too heavy. Yeah. And because of the advent of uh, miniaturization, the, all the sensors and the electronics, the optics, everything is very, very small. I'm glad that you brought that up. I've heard that uh, the early space uh, explorers, like this, the guys who went to the moon, mm -hmm. the first people, they use, the technology they use is the same technology that we use in our phones. No, this is that the, the phone is much more powerful. <laughs> right uh, now. The, the processor, <laughs> the memory, yeah. a lot of stuff they were actually doing manually, to c computing the angle from the star that they used as reference. Yeah. It was an extremely high-risk uh, um, mission, mission and yeah. it, it worked, but now it's automatically done for you through computers. Well, I think that changed a lot. And so, the, one of the contributions of NASA is that it requires all the time 
um, miniaturizing everything, making it smaller and smaller, and industry followed. And so in the end, you have these kinds of things that are... That are being used uh, in consumer products Exactly, like benefiting uh, humanity right. in, in many ways. What kind of data have we collected so far uh, in, in our research that gives us a better understanding of our own planet here on Earth? Okay, so there are four major science uh, areas of research in space. Uh, one of them is Earth science, studying our own Earth. The, our, our Earth is constantly changing. You know, it's, there is uh, 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 life that changes the, even the surface of it. It, mm. it. We've lost the history of how the Earth evolved to come to it now because of constant change. Rain, forest, mm. fire, all kinds of things. Water, life makes it that it's very difficult to find the, the past. Whereas, um, uh, and so we need to monitor what's going on including the climate change that we're bringing now. Mm -hmm. It's evident now that it's happening. So that's earth science. The other one is uh, astrophysics, looking at the, hu the universe as a whole, all the big galaxies, the clusters of galaxies, the, uh, the enormous uh, you know, uh, width of the universe as it, as, as it is now, and it's expanding significantly every second. The galaxies are going away from each other at very high velocity. Okay. You know, thousands of miles per second. Moving away from Moving each other. Moving away. Mm. And so the big question is whether it's, it's, it's going to come back because of gravity will pull it back, or which, will it expand forever and cool down and kind of die? There is a lot of data captured from all these satellites that are in space looking at all the different in Earth or the planets or the universe or the, the Sun-Earth connection. Okay. And so there's data. And we're able to learn, to synthesize that and exactly. learn something exactly. about so, ourselves. So there's a lot of scientists at NASA and also in, in academia, in universities, who are looking at this data. It's available to everyone. The, the public paid for it. Mm. So after a mission is sent and it gets the data, we what we do is calibrate it, make sure that the data is, is reliable, and then make it available to the to the science. The public research institutions exactly. that will... Uh, and, and even... You you know, worldwide, you know, okay. the African scientists will, will also have access. That was Dr. Brooke Lackew. Dr. Lackew is the Associate Director for Planning and R&D, Solar System Exploration Division at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. He joined me in studio here at The Voice of America. What's up, Africa? You are listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. Hello up front, my name is Gazbo Prosper, I'm in Kampala City, the capital city of Uganda. I'm a border border rider in Kampala, I love listening to up front on Voice of America. Now if you have been listening to music from Cameroon, you should be familiar with the name Gomez Oba. The young upcoming artist has been making waves in his country's music industry. And on his recent tour in the U.S., Gomez Oba passed by our studios to talk about the African music landscape and his mission to bridge the divide in his country through his music. Gomez Oba, thank you so much for joining my us. Pleasure, my pleasure. Yo, so how are you liking the U.S. so far? Yes, beautiful. Yeah. Chill. Nice. I'm so happy. So what, what are you doing? Are you here for yeah, promotion? Here. Are you on a tour? Yeah. I'm here for tour and promotion too okay but basically i'm here to do like a tour around so, the u.s yeah now you, you have a, a big fan base here um you're growing growing fan base i have a growing fan it. base yes. but i have like a big fan base too so, i like that yeah i like but, that 
Uh, first of all, I mean, I like your drip. Thank Looking you. Good. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yes. So talk to us about your music. Um, what kind of music do you do? Afrobeat. Afro, because um, I have like a Nigerian background too. Yeah, so so it's mostly Afrobeat, mm. but mixed with a little bit of Makosa from Cameroon. <laughs> I mostly sing about like life challenges, sometimes just good vibes for people to dance and have fun. Mm. Um, like about, I, I love to appreciate the, the women. Mm. I love also the ladies. To, the ladies. Yes. I love also to like talk about like my struggle, where I'm from to inspire people. So you're from Cameroon, but I'm where from, exactly in Cameroon are you from? I'm from the southwest region of Cameroon. Yeah, well, we have a lot going on. Yeah, tell us about that area. Right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful region. We speak um, English. And you know Cameroon is like bilingual. Yes. But there's an English region of Cameroon. We have like cities like Boya, where, where I'm from, big mm. ups to Boya, Kumba, Bamenda. And we have what everybody knows is going on in Cameroon right now. My, my people are actually going through a lot and... So we're just like, I'm just happy that I'm using music somehow to like ease them, like for them to forget mm -hmm. a little bit and because they're really suffering. Right, so there's been a, a con continuing yeah. conflict yeah. in Cameroon yeah. between uh, Francophone and Anglophone uh, and you're hoping that your music kind of it's, eases the tension. Yeah, it's, it's actually doing that and we pray and we hope like it should end. Like, yeah, we, we we want to be happy. Absolutely. What, what, what do you think? What, what do you think is the role of music in in society, in like a, in in your area, for example? Very very powerful. Music is very powerful. Music is very like music. Mood, it changes moods. Like it could um, it educates. Understand? Music also like, well, music is like a safe haven for a lot of people that are going through distress and in life in general. <laughs> That was Cameroonian artist Gomez Oba. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to our guests and to you for tuning in. Remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook and Instagram and on YouTube. Until next time, my name is Jackson Bungani.